All right. Well, if you're watching online, we just shared in communion and that wonderful blessing of the remembrance of God's forgiveness in our lives and our commitment to him. And now we turn and we are once again turning back to our study of the apostles. We've already met five of the apostles of Jesus, and we remember once again that they were ordinary common men, just plain men with nothing special about them. But the one common thing that they did have in, in common was they were all a little bit rough around the edges. They were all a little bit flawed in their life with their attitudes, their actions, and the, the way they did things. And uh, that's good news for us. Do you know why? Because I don't know about you, but I think all of us in this room are a little bit flawed also, right? We, we don't have that perfection. We, we have some idiosyncrasies about us, whether it's uh, our mental attitude or our spiritual attitude or what we do and how we do things that... Uh, Quite honestly, we need a little help. We need a little revival. We need a little redirection. So we come and we study these apostles to see what God did with them in a matter of two years and how he changed them from men who were seeking God, men who were seeking the Messiah at the time, men who were rough around the edges, to bring them in as disciples. Disciple, once again, simply means what? A follower. They were followers of those who were looking for the foretold Messiah to come, the prophesied Messiah. They had heard John the Baptist's message, and they were looking for the Christ. And Jesus steps on the scene and begins his public ministry about age 30. And he goes to the mountain to pray, as we've read. And then he comes back, and out of all his disciples, through his father's will, he picks out 12 men to be apostles. And apostleship is going kind of one step beyond disciple, because disciple is a follower. You don't really have a lot of responsibility at this point. You're just following Jesus and imitating him and mimicking him. But when they became apostles, they were given the responsibility to go forth into all the earth and share the message of the gospel. Gospel meaning good news. The good news of Jesus Christ come for salvation. And so we see these men being brought in, and we've looked at the five so far, and I don't know about you, but I kind of laugh. And that God's got a sense of humor because he picks out some people that I would not pick out if I was picking a leadership team. How about you? You've been here for a while. These last five guys, would you have picked them out to be part of the leadership team for God? They were seeking God, but they also had their problems, didn't they? But over the course of some two years, God molds them and corrects them and instructs them and leads them and guides them and forgives them and loves them and instills in them that he believes they could be more. He works with them to bring them to a point to be not the men who they were, but the men who God created them to be while they were yet in their mother's womb. And that's also good news for us. Why? Because we read in the Old Testament that God did place his very fingerprints upon us while we were yet in, his, in our mother's womb and created us in a unique fashion. All of us are slightly different. All of us have some unique things about our lives. But all of us have come together to seek the Lord and are in this place today seeking God and hoping to find him to allow him to speak to us. So we come this morning like the apostles where we come seeking God and saying, Lord, here I am. Take me. In salvation, we came and we said, here I am, Lord, take me a sinner. And you know what the crazy thing is? What did God do when we cried those words out? Take me as a sinner. What did he do? He took us and accepted us in, forgave us, and gave us salvation. 
And so we see in these 12 men the miraculous nature of God's handiwork in their lives. As we look back at the apostles, we can literally see the fingerprints of God upon their lives as he is molding them to be apostles. And again, I like that because I know that God likes projects. And I know that because I'm a project. How about you? Are you a project in God's hands where he's got to take you as that lump of clay, as the Old Testament refers to you, and kind of remold you a little bit? Maybe for some of us in this room, it's got to be like uh, that lump of clay that I remember back in pottery class in a junior high where I didn't beat it enough, and there were air pockets in it. And when I began to put it together, the teacher came up, and he's like, ah, oh, John, that's not going to work. And I'm like, but I made this beautiful little uh, thing. I guess I'll call it a vase because it's not quite round it was kind of off on the edges not really pretty and the junior high teacher came over and he goes this is what we need to do john and he smashes that piece of clay down i'm like oh my work he says now here's what we're going to do he goes i want you to pound that clay a little bit more and turn it and fold it and beat it and pound it and turn it and fold it and beat it and pound it and turn it and fold it and beat it because you've got to get all the air pockets out because if you remember junior high pottery class if you put that in the kiln with all those air pockets the way it was what would it do in the kiln it would explode. So we take that lump of clay out and we beat it, we fold it, we beat it, we fold it. But what we're doing is we're driving the air out of that lump of clay so that when it's done, then we can mold it into a new vessel. We put the glaze on it, we put it through the fire of the kiln, and it comes out a beautiful vase. At least in junior high, I thought it was a beautiful vase because I worked hard on it, right? Our lives in Christ are kind of like that, the same as the apostles. God brings us in in the roughness of who we are. The Bible says Christ came to us while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to be good enough to come to him. He came to us while we were still sinners. And he takes us and he kind of pounds us and beats us and molds us and pounds us and beats us and molds us in our spiritual lives. We know that the Word of God says that he tests and he disciplines those whom he loves. So as God brings us through these trials of life, and we're crying out, oh God, help me, I'm in this situation again, I'm stuck, I'm, I don't know what to do. God is saying, I'm using that to make you, to mold you into more of a man or woman of God. And so those aren't bad things. We, when we come into trials in our life, they're not bad things when we come into struggles in our lives. We're not bad things when we come to those places where we look at it and we go, this is overwhelming. Those are places where God says, I am going to use this to mold you. To get those, quote, sinful air pockets out of your life. And then we can begin to mold the clay once that is gone. And put that glaze on there and change you. So you see the process of what God's doing? The Bible tells us trials and temptations will do what? They will come. But they're not a bad thing in the kingdom of God. Because God can use those things to teach us to depend more upon him, less upon ourselves, and to become more Christ-like. So the example of these 12 apostles is good stuff for our lives because they give an example of how God is changing them and showing us clearly their faults that he molds into something good. So turn with me to Luke 12. We'll be there. We'll be in Luke 12 and then John chapter 1 as we read about our sixth apostle, and look a little bit at his life. Luke 6, verses 12 to 16, is that familiar verse we've looked at every single time where Jesus calls the apostles. So read with me. 
Luke 6, chapter 12, and it says, At that time Jesus went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. Simon, who he also named as Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John and Philip, and now Bartholomew. That's the man we're looking at today. And Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is also called the Zealot, and Judas, and the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So we are looking at the sixth apostle this morning, once again, which in Luke 6, what is his name called? Do you remember? We just read it. Test time. Bartholomew. It's one of the few times he's called Bartholomew in the Bible because in John chapter 1, which we'll turn, you can turn there, we'll be there in just a minute, John chapter 1 calls him Nathaniel. So here again we see an apostle with two different names, Bartholomew in, in Luke and in John, Nathaniel. Now Nathaniel means gift of God. Nathaniel. Okay, let's break this down. See if this sounds familiar to you, those of you that have been in church for a while. Nathaniel. What does I-L mean? I don't know, John. I just got here. I'm still waking up. El or Ael, Elohim is the name of God. Nathaniel. Nathaniel takes the last part or the first part of Elohim, the name for God, and puts it at the end. And Nathan means gift. So Nathaniel is a gift of God. Kind of cool thinking, right? Well, what about Bartholomew? What's the symbolic meaning of Bartholomew? Well, that's a little, little less symbolic. When he is called Bartholomew, it literally means son of Ptolemy. Bar means son of, in your good Hebrew scholarly language, right? Bartholomew, so son of Tholomew, or in the Hebrew, it would actually be Ptolemy. So Bartholomew means son of Ptolemy, okay? Well, we get that, and that has a little importance because we remember that oftentimes men were named by their sons, right? Albert's son, Joseph's son. This is Bartholomew, son of Ptolemy. So there's two possibilities here. Either his father was named Ptolemy, or at the time, there was a Hebrew sect going around at this time that Christ was on the scene called the Ptolemanians, and their leader was named, guess what? Ptolemy. So he was a son of Ptolemy because this group of Hebrews devoted themselves to the study of Scripture and looking forward to the coming of the foretold prophecy of Messiah. So he could have possibly been a member of this sect, that their whole purpose was to seek and dig into the Scriptures of the time, the book of Micah, the other Old Testament books, and look for the coming Christ, which tells us something about Bartholomew or Matthew, Nathaniel, same guy, right? It tells us that he was a seeker of who? Who was he looking for? He was looking for God. This is key to our life application because we read and we saw some of the verses in the video of worship that if you seek God, there's a cool thing that happens, you will find God. That's as hard as the equation gets. It's not harder than that, right? It's not about cleaning our lives up to be good enough for God because we can't do that. The Bible says if you simply seek God, you will find him. So we see Nathaniel, also called Bartholomew, as a disciple, had been seeking who? 
He'd been seeking God, same as our other previous apostles. That's one of the common themes between them, that they were all seeking God. Not as the Jewish rabbis at the time were doing. They weren't being religious. They were seeking the true God that was prophesied in those Old Testament scriptures. The one that said that when the Messiah came, he would restore the nation of Israel. And when the Messiah came, he would complete all that had been given. And what had been given to the Jews at the time were the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments only showed you one thing. You know what they showed you? That you and I are not good enough to keep all ten. They're to show us that we fail. And as Jesus comes on the scene to complete that, he shows us that we fail, that we need something beyond us to make us holy. And that's where Jesus comes in as the Savior. We also know through reading through John that Nathaniel or Bartholomew, whichever we were going to call him, came from Cana in Galilee, which is a very short walking distance from Nazareth. Now that's important because he's from Naz or he's from Cana, and Jesus was from where? Nazareth. Now hold that in your thought because that will make sense a little bit later. Those are important for a reason. We read in John 1 where Philip brought Nathanael to meet Jesus. And we're going to look in there quite a bit. So John chapter 1 verse 43 is a story of when Jesus is calling the, the disciples. And again, they are listening to John the Baptist who proclaims when Jesus comes on the scene, he says, There is the Lamb of God. And in essence, John says to all of his disciples following him, go and seek the true Messiah. And he sends his disciples after him. And that's exactly what happens. These men come on the scene and they see Jesus and they follow him and he calls them one by one. So turn with me and read with me. If you're in John chapter 1, let's read the story for ourselves. John 1 starting in verse 43. It says this, Then the next day Jesus proposed to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. Now, we've read about Philip, right, already? He found Philip, and Jesus said to him those two famous words. Remember what they are? Real hard words. Follow me. That's simply Jesus' asks. But when he asks us that question, and he says, follow me, how much time does he give us to make a decision? About 0.4 seconds, Right? It's an immediate quest of, test of our faith to say, if I, if I come to you and say, I am the Savior, follow me, follow me now. Don't go home and pack your bags. You know, don't go back and tell everybody, hey, I got some business to do. Don't do any of that stuff. Follow me and follow me now. So Jesus says to Philip, follow me. And then verse 44 goes on to say, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So we know that Philip probably knew Andrew and Peter, because they're all from the same town. They went to the same synagogue, the same church at the time. Verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. Here we come to Nathanael. And he said to him, we found a really cool dude. He's going to fix your marriage, dude. He's going to save your life. He's going to do a lot of cool things. Is that what the Bible says, those of you that are following along? No, it says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to Philip, and remember I told you, remember Cana and Nazareth for a reason? Verse 46, Nathanael says to Philip, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. 
Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said to Nathanael, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to Jesus, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to Nathanael, Before Philip called you, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And Nathanael answered Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. So Jesus said to Nathanael, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? You will see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Short, sweet story. But if you unpack it, there's really a lot there. Okay? When Philip comes to Nathanael in verse 45, he says, he says these specific words, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote. Now those actually are very important words because they hit the heart of Nathanael. Again, Philip didn't come and say, Hey, I found a guy who's really cool who has some cool, neat sayings and teachings. He didn't come in and say, hey, I found this guy that's going to change our lives because he's going to show us the way to live a good, healthy life. Philip refers back to Moses and the law and the prophets. Now, why do you think that's important in our study of Nathaniel? We mentioned that Nathaniel, as Bartholomew was a son of Ptolemy, there was that text of that sect of Ptolemanians. And what was their sole purpose? to find the coming Messiah. They sought, they dug in the scriptures, they were looking for the true God to finally come on scene. So when Philip comes to Nathaniel, he knows if he just says, hey, I met this cool guy, we think he's God. What's Nathaniel gonna do? Roll his eyes like, all right, buddy, yeah, go on. Just get out of my hair, quit messing with me. So Philip changes the subject to speak to Nathaniel he says, hey, we're talking about the guy that Moses and the law and the prophets wrote about. Well, that piques Nathaniel's interest because who has Nathaniel been seeking? In the scriptures, in the law, in the prophets, he's been seeking God. So Philip kind of hooks him in a simple way going, I know how to get him to move. I've got to bring him to Jesus. Remember we read about Philip? Philip was an evangelist. He was always bringing people to Jesus. And here he's bringing a guy that he's known for years to Jesus, but he knows he has to come to him in a way that will pique his interest. So he hits on the fact that Nathaniel wanted to see the forthcoming Messiah. Nathaniel was looking for God, which is another practical application for us. And I'll spin it this way. Y'all are here at church this morning, right? Well, at least physically, right? Are you here mentally? Are you here spiritually? And the big question is, are you here doing one thing, seeking God. That's the reason we should be here, isn't it? We should come actively engaged on purpose, intently seeking God, because the Bible tells us if we seek God, what is the crazy thing that's going to happen? You're going to find him. That if God brings us here by divine intervention, then there is something that God wants to speak to you and I this morning like Nathaniel, hopefully this piques your interest to be like, okay, Lord, I want to find you because I want to hear what you have to say to me. So we you know Nathaniel was 
a searcher of the scriptures at the time. He was a seeker after a divine truth. He was not religious like the Pharisees, but he wanted truth. In essence, Nathaniel had a sincere love for God, and he wanted to know the truth of the Messiah for his life purposely. In a way, Philip kind of said this to Nathaniel in a modern version. He says, we've found the one that we have been studying about for years. Now, Nathaniel's a little bit of a skeptic. Because Philip goes on to tell him, after that, he says, the one that I'm telling you about in the scriptures is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he gives him an identity. And he tells Nathanael that where is Jesus, the Messiah, coming from? Nazareth. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. That's who the Messiah is. And Philip says something, or Nathanael says something very interesting in verse 46. He says this, Can anything good come out of where? Nazareth. He's like, you know that scum dog town, Nazareth? You gotta be kidding me. There's nothing good that can come out of that town. I mean, Tara moved up from Vegas, and Vegas is called what in modern terms? They don't call it Las Vegas, they call it what? Sin City, and for a reason, or why? Right? People don't say, well, I'm going to Vegas. I'm like, I'm going to Sin City. You know, they have a goal, because I'm gonna go sin where the sinners sin, right? That's what we're doing. And Nathaniel, or Philip's kind of looking and saying, Hey, I found him. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel is kind of like, are you kidding? Nazareth? That's like Sin City. There's nothing good that can come out of there. Well, here's where we deal with the first flaw issue of Nathaniel. Nathaniel was a seeker of God. He wanted to find truth. That's all good, right? Well, here's the roughness of Nathaniel. Nathaniel has some serious prejudice. Against who? Nazareth. Nathaniel's from Cana. Then there's this Jesus from where? Nazareth? Are you kidding me? It's almost as if Nathaniel is saying, look, I've studied the Old Testament, I've studied the prophets, and Michael said, and Micah, the God, the prophet Micah says that Jesus will come out of Bethlehem, not Nazareth. So Philip, you've got to be wrong. But we also know that Nathaniel does have this prejudice against Nazareth. Now, how many of you in here went through high school? How many of you survived high school, right? I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, we would have our games against other high schools, right? And when you did that, you always had your school on one side of the auditorium and who on the other? the other scum dog school, because we are what? Better than them. This is what Nathaniel's going through. Nathaniel is from Cana, which is very close to Nazareth, but Nazareth was set as a crossroads where people had to go through to trade. It was one of those towns that, like, if you're going down to Moab, you almost have to drive through Green River, and there is nothing in Green River. Sorry, folks, if you're from Green River and you're watching this. But Green River is just a stopping point to go on to maybe gas up, grab some food, go to the bathroom, and go on to Moab, right? So Nazareth was one of these little podunk towns down there that you had to go through to trade to get to the big cities. 
So a lot of people going through, kind of like Vegas, there's a lot of stuff coming and going, and a lot of bad stuff. Let me put it kind of this way. During COVID, I was put on furlough and we had some time off. So Justin, our, our, our youngest son was with us and we decided we would venture out and see some things in Utah that we had never seen, although we'd lived here some 30 years and Justin had grown up. So we got looking on the internet and we found this thing called the Spiral Getty up north. Hmm? Jetty, the Spiral Jetty. <laughs> I'll say it right. Maybe there is a Giddy. I don't know. Maybe there is a Giddy. Not as famous. <laughs> not as famous could be, but I'll get it right. The Spiral Jetty. So we traveled up there, and as en route as we're getting there, we went by this little place in Utah, which is a little national historic site called the Golden Spike. It's where when they put the Transcontinental Railroad in, the two railroads came together, and that was a really cool thing. So they symbolically put this Golden Spike in, and then quickly took it right out and put a regular spike in. But it was interesting reading the things on the, about that Golden Spike, which I didn't even think of before. So we're walking through, and the museum's closed because it's COVID time, and they have little plaques up out there, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but we're just literally walking around the railroad tracks reading these little historical markers about what had happened. Well, there's something interesting that happened because as the railroads are coming together, all these men have to eat and bathe and everything, right? And at that time, how many great towns were there where that railroad was? There was nothing. I mean, you've got Asians working there, you've got a, a, a Irish people working there, you've got all these different cultures building the Transcontinental Railroad, coming to meet it together so you could have transportation from coast to coast, which at that time was a huge thing. We don't think about that now, but that was a huge thing to be able to put all this stuff onto a train, send it out to the, the other side of the United States. So as I'm reading these markers, I started to notice something very interesting. Because where the railroad tracks were, little mini cities would follow the railroad tracks. Why? Because they had to have food to eat. They had to have places they could go and get a bath, right? But here's what else popped up. Now we're in Utah, which is fairly conservative, right? So I thought this was hilarious. Where they would go, you would have these people with these little tent cities that would follow them. One was a grocery store, one was like a bathing house, one was a little pharmacy, and then, and yeah, I'm gonna say it so you're gonna hear it, you had your liquor store and you had your brothel for other necessities. So here in conservative little Utah, as this railroad is coming together, the crossroads of the world are coming together, these little cities are forming, and yes, you've got your needs, your pharmacy, your groceries, your bathing house, but you also had, what? Sin City following with them, right? So this is what Nazareth is really like. It's at the crossroads where people are coming to trade, but there's all this stuff in there, and as Nathaniel is looking at it, he's in this other little podunk town just a little ways up the road going, we don't have junk like that in our city. And that's why he says, how could anything good, what? Come from Nazareth. Because he's like, yeah, where I live, Cana, it's not that big, but we don't have the stuff that they have in their city. Not referring to the good stuff, right? He's referring to the negative stuff. And what it shows is Nathaniel has a prejudice. A prejudice is an ugly thing no matter how it rears their head, its head. Prejudice is not rational. Prejudice is actually emotional right? Prejudice is not objective, it's subjective based on your feeling about something. 
Let me put it this way. We've talked about Nazareth with the imagery of the golden spike and what followed was they're building these little cities going on here. Nathaniel is referring to Nazareth and saying, that is like scum dog town. There's nothing good to come out of there. It's got all this stuff that as a good Jew, I would never partake. So we see that and that's partially true, but is there another truth in Nazareth also? <laughs> is there anything good in Nazareth? Yeah. Does Nathaniel see that? No. What does Nathaniel see? Only the stuff he's prejudiced about, because as a good Jew, I would never partake in those things. Now here's where we make this practical. Here's the fun part of the sermon. Do you have any prejudices? Maybe against certain cultures? Different colors? People of a different financial status than you? Someone at work that's maybe moved up the ladder faster than you? Do you have prejudices? Nobody wants to answer right now, right? <laughs> so I'll answer for you. Yes, you do. And I'll encourage you, like Nathaniel, that your prejudices are not based in fact, but they're based in feeling because of how you've grown up and what you understand about something or someone, and you don't like it. And you think it's less than. The problem with prejudice is it's a superiority complex is what it really comes down to. Well, I'm better than who? Them. It's not based in fact, it's based in feeling, it's subjective based on your opinion, and it's not truth. And herein lies the problem of Nathaniel. And here's what makes it even more interesting once again with Nathaniel, prejudiced Nathaniel. And yet Jesus will do what with Nathaniel? He will choose him to become what? An apostle. Now again, my own little world, right? I'm looking to bring a team together to bring forth the gospel of God. And I see this guy that outright is prejudiced. What am I not going to do? I'm not going to pick him. That doesn't make sense. I don't want some prejudiced guy going off and we're trying to share the gospel going off and really upsetting someone because we meet someone prejudiced with them. Remember, Peter had to go through that, right? Peter had a prejudice against, as a Jew, against who? The Gentiles. And the Gentiles were who? Anybody who was not a Jew. In essence, Peter looked at them as unclean. And you know what kind of thing happens where God has a sense of humor? God takes Peter and he sends him to preach to who? The Gentiles. Why? Because Peter was prejudiced against him. He sends them to preach the gospel of love to the very people he hated. You want that task? You come to Jesus, Jesus knows your heart and your mind says, oh, you don't like this group of people. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring the gospel to them. What? How about anybody but them, Lord? Nope, they're the ones you're going to preach gospel to because you've got to preach love, you've got to preach truth, you've got to preach salvation, and they're going to be in heaven with you. And you're going... I don't like that. Now 
Now the gospel tells us that Christ died for who? Only for those living in the Davis County area of Utah. Only those on the righteous holy team of the Denver Broncos. No. Christ died for who? To bring salvation. All people. Anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord can receive salvation. And that's a problem for some of us, isn't it? Let's be real. This is practical application time. This is where God speaks to us in a sermon and says, I'm going to pinpoint an issue in your life that you don't want me to talk about. But like Nathaniel, we're going to have to deal with it. Like Peter, we're going to have to deal with it if you want to truly grow in Jesus Christ. Because what God is going to do with Nathaniel is he's going to tell him, dude, get over it. And he's going to do it in a very real way that's going to impact Nathaniel and change his life. As a Christian, do you want your life changed? I do. But that means I'm going to have to face the hard, ugly reality of who I really am first. Before you could really be forgiven of sin, what do you have to do? you got to take responsibility for that sin and say, God, forgive me. I have sinned against you and you alone. Now, I've taken it out on other people, but Lord, when it comes down to it, you're the one I've sinned against. And only when we do that thing called repentance, of taking accountability and responsibility of our own sin and saying, God, I have wronged you. Can you forgive me? That's only when salvation becomes real. Do you know that men's ears are often closed to the gospel because of prejudice? Because they walk into a church and they have a racial, a social, a religious, a financial prejudice and they can't worship there because those other people are there? That's a problem, isn't it? That's a problem. Because when we look at the life of Jesus, who did Jesus go to? Did he go to the rich and wealthy? Yeah, he went to some of them. Did he go to the political leadership of the time? The Herods, the, all those? Yeah, he did. But who did he also go see? Everyone else. Including those that the Jewish nation considered untouchable. He went to those that if you were a good Jew, if you went in their presence or you touched them, you were unclean and you had to go through a spiritual cleansing to be able to even go in the church to worship God. How wrong is that? Man. Jesus seeks those with a pure, clean heart. Not a chip on their shoulder. And as we come to Christ, we've got to realize, if we got that chip on our shoulder, we've got to knock that puppy off. Because Christ came to save all. He brings salvation to all the world. In fact, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he sends these men out and he says, go to where? The ends of the earth. Go to see every culture, every nation, every land, and present the Gospel that many may come to salvation. And here's where scripture gets hard for some people. And here's the other reality to make the story whole. There was another prejudice going on 
besides what Nathaniel was dealing with this, but this was a cultural social prejudice. Who didn't accept Jesus? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were the religious pastors of the time, right? They were the priests. They didn't accept Jesus because they also had a prejudice of what good can come out of Nazareth. And because they held on to that prejudice and would not let it go, they never came to salvation. An entire nation. So we see something cool and beautiful in Nathaniel's life that when he does meet Jesus, he gives up his prejudice. And he came to salvation. Yet an entire nation, because of their prejudice, didn't. So let's read on the victory story of Nathaniel. Verse 47. Nathaniel is going to back up there a little bit. Let's back up a little bit. Philip speaks those words to him and says, Come and see the ones that Moses spoke about the, in the law and the prophets. And Nathaniel says, What good can come out of Nazareth? And Philip says something interesting to him. He says, come and see. Now that's important. Do you know why? When someone has prejudice, it's a feeling, it's an emotion, it's subjective, it's a superiority complex, and the only way to get over that is to show them the facts. So Philip says to Nathaniel, dude, get up, come and see. And so we have that story that Philip is encouraging Nathaniel to overcome his prejudice. So he comes and en route, Jesus sees Nathaniel, and they obviously are getting close because Jesus speaks some words. So Nathaniel's got to be close enough to meet Jesus, right? Kind of like having a conversation here. So when Nathaniel comes in the presence of Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in who there is no guile. Okay? In Romans 2, there's a verse that says this, A Jew is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but is one who is one inwardly. Let's change that to modern terms. A Christian is not a Christian who is one outwardly with just actions, but a Christian is one who is a Christian where? Inwardly. Jesus tells us throughout the entire New Testament that he looks at the hearts of men. And when Jesus came upon the Pharisees and priests and religious leaders of the time, he called them whitewashed tombs. You know what a whitewashed tomb is? It's something that has like a tombstone out there that's kind of rotting. They used the wood at the time. They didn't use stone. They had the wood there. The wood's rotting in time, and they're in the cemetery. So to make it look good, what would they do? they paint some white paint, and they paint it up so it'll look purdy again. You know, that bar needs some paint, so make it purdy. But inside, they were still what? Dead. And so Jesus looks at Nathaniel, and in essence says, Here is a man who is truly a God-seeker where? In his heart. He wasn't there just for outward show. He was there because he truly wanted to find who? God. He'd been searching the scriptures. Nobody made him do that. He'd been searching the scriptures with Philip over and over and over again to find the forthcoming Messiah that had been prophesied because he wanted to know God. And that is so cool that it's a message to us again today. Again, I'll ask you the question because the Bible is, is, is practical application to our lives. Are you here with a heart inwardly truly seeking who? God. Because that's where you should be. Not here just to say, hey, I went to church today. 
Third time this month, I gotta have a brownie point in for that one. Give me a gold star, whoo! I passed Sunday school class. No, it's not about checking the box. It's about being real, being real. And you know what that does for us? I'll give you a little personal insight. That means that when you show up and the worship team of Wasatch Christian Church is singing and playing and John hits a wrong note, you're not like, I'm out of here. If we don't have any professional singers at the church, I am gone because I came to worship. That means if something happens in the message and hits you and twings you and you're like, oh, pastor said that, I am out of here. I'm not coming back next Sunday because he said this. It means if we're a true worshiper of God, we're where God brings us and calls us to be. And our heart is to seek and find him, to overcome those little innuendos that Satan's going to throw out to try and keep you out of church and say, I'm going to overcome that because God has made me an overcomer and I'm going to seek the Lord and I'm going to find him and it's going to be here in church. And Satan, you can't distract me with those stupid little annoyances that most people get upset over. Remember I've told you the story about a prejudice in a church years ago where they had a church split now, church split is not a good thing. It's not even biblical, right? Because the Bible says we are one church under one God. We're not many churches. But in this church, there was a church split. And do you remember what it was over? If you remember, if you've been here a couple years, it was over a grand, brand new baby grand piano that the church finally had enough money to purchase. A little bit bigger than us. They bought a baby grand piano to have for worship. They put it on stage. And they put it on the right side of the stage, and half the church said, oh, no, we want that on the left side because it looks better. And the other people are saying, no, it looks good on the right side because that's where we put it. And the left side says, no, well, you're wrong. Put it on the left side. And they bickered and went back, went back and back. Pastor should have been smart and said, hey, just stick it in the middle then if you guys can't get over this. Grow up. But because they fought over that, the church actually split, true story, over a piano and where it was placed. Now, we look at that and say, that's ridiculous. But how many times are we offended or something happens when we go to church? We're like, I ain't going back there again. Happens, doesn't it? How many people do you know that said, well, I used to go to church, but yeah, then they, this happened or they said this or something happened here? Man, it, I can't go back to that church. You know what they're really saying? I have a prejudice because they said something I didn't like and agree with. Boy, there's what's going to happen in church, folks. I'm going to play it out in a line. When the Bible speaks, it speaks to sin. And we don't like to talk about our sin. So if you come to church that's preaching the, preaching the gospel of God, you're going to have something that says, Ooh, that stings right where I live. I don't really want to talk about that. Right? It's actually a good thing. Because that's the stuff we got to shed. That's the chip on our shoulder we got to knock off. We got to get rid of that prejudice and attitude. So Jesus meets Nathaniel and says, Hey, there's a Jew who's truly a Jew in the depth of his heart because he's truly seeking God. And so he meets Jesus. And Nathaniel says this He's never met Jesus. He says, How do you know me? Isn't that a logical statement? You meet someone and they start telling you your life story and where you live, and you're like, how do you know all that? I've never met you before. So this is an odd thing for Philip. And then Jesus responds, very deep and theologically, before Philip ever came to find you and invite you to come see me, I saw you under the fig tree. Well, that's deep and theological, isn't it? Well, not really, but there's a context behind that story, behind Jesus' statement, right? 
Philip hits Nathanael with telling him, we have found the Messiah, the son of Joseph of Nazareth. He's the one who fulfills the law and the prophets of what they've spoken about. Nathanael says, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. I'm prejudiced. I don't like that scummy little town. And Philip says, well, then come and see him and judge for yourself. He meets Jesus. Jesus says, there's a true Jew, in, Jew indeed, one who's really seeking God, not being religious. Nathanael says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree before, that, before Philip came to see you. Here's the background story of that. Oftentimes at this time, the poor people would build this mud brick house, right? You've seen it maybe on TV or in the encyclopedia or at school you're going on. Just a simple one-room brick house. You know what they did in that one-room brick house or mud house? They did everything. They cooked, they cleaned, they slept. We read back when we get into the Christmas story about when they lived in a house. If it was, sometimes it was two levels. The animals lived on the bottom. The people lived on top. What do you think the place smelled like? Not good, right? We're in an area where it's arid. It's hot. You get people in there. You're cooking all the... It's hot. It's the place you want to get out of, right? So a common thing at that time, you'd have your little square mud house that you did everything in, but on the outside, you'd go outside and you'd plant a tree. And you'd plant a tree because that tree would give you shade out of the summer, out of the desert heat, and it would be a place of refreshment. And many of the Jews at this time would plant fig trees because not only did you have this tree that would spread its branches and leaves out over this and make a shady place to get out of the sun and into the fresh air, but you got fruit off the tree, right? So the Jews would set up this, these trees around their house and it was a place to go and seek rest, to get out of the stuffy house, out of the heat, fresh air, and hey, if you're out there, maybe you could pick up a, a fig or two and have some refreshment. In fact, one historian, Jewish historian writes this about these trees and where the setting is. It says, in Palestine, the houses of the poor people, because they had only one room, led the people seeking quietness to pray and meditate outside the house beneath the shade of a fig tree. So this is a common thing, right? Go out. I mean, if you're having your devotional with God, you want to be in a room where there's mass chaos, 15 kids are running around, mom's cooking over here, the smoke's billowing out, little Jimmy's having a tantrum over here, the dad comes in and he's yelling and screaming because he wants his food, wants it now. That's not where I want to have a quiet time devotional, right? So I pick up my Bible and I go outside, outside the fig tree with some nice fresh air, maybe a fig or two, and it's quiet, and I can come to God in the stillness. That's what Nathaniel was doing. And Jesus says, I saw you there. That if Nathaniel was outside of this fig tree having a devotional, what was he doing? He was seeking God. He was praying for the true God to come in, for the foretold Messiah. He was seeking God, and we've said at the very, very beginning of this message, if you seek God, you will... I know, let's try that again. If you <laughs> seek God, you will... Find him. Okay, one more time, kids. Last chance. If you seek God, you will find him. Okay, we'll settle with that. Nathaniel's seeking God. God sees him. And so when he comes, he knows Nathaniel. And Nathaniel has a spiritual moment. You see, it didn't take Nathaniel forming a committee or getting a bunch of books, or giving Jesus a 15-page test to see if he was the real Messiah. Because when Nathaniel heard Jesus say, I saw you, 
What that spoke to Nathaniel was, this guy has omniscience. What is omniscience? Well, it's a cool word they use in church all the time. I don't know what it means, but it sounds big, right? Omniscience, all-seeing, all-knowing. Nathaniel realizes in this moment in his life that this guy saw me while he was away. And he knows he's already spoken to me about the, my heart. He has seen the depth of my soul and he knows me. So Nathaniel instantly realizes this is the Messiah because he'd been studying about the Messiah. He knew the Messiah would be omniscient. He knew the Messiah would know his heart. So he instantly recognizes Jesus as the Messiah in the very first meeting. And he says, Rabbi, teacher, master, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. How cool is that story? There are men and women in, in Christian Mai's life that we have shared the gospel message with over and over and over again. And you know what? They just don't get it. And do you know why they're not getting it? Because they're not really seeking God. They've placed their life in something or someone else. And they don't care that there's a God. And so Nathaniel recognizes Jesus. And here's the cool thing that Jesus blesses him with. Jesus says, he answered Nathaniel, says, because I said to you, I saw you under victory, you believe? That's all it took? He says, truly, truly, you shall see the heavens open and the angels of God descend, ascending and descending before the Son of Man. So Jesus rewards Nathaniel for getting over his prejudice of the Nazarenes and seeking God and recognizing him and says, he's like, Nathaniel, you recognize me as the son of God? That's all it took? Tell you what, I'm going to enrich your life and show you so much more beyond what you could ever dream. Isn't that the blessing of God? When we come to salvation, that's a beautiful blessing, isn't it? But is there ever anything more? I mean, does God just stop there and say, hey, look, I gave you salvation. Isn't that enough? No. What does the Bible tell us? God blesses us with spiritual gifts. He blesses us with knowledge, discernment. In fact, he says, hey, if you don't have any wisdom, if you realize your tank's a little bit low in the wisdom area, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to biblical theology school. I want you to study for 20 years. I want you to gather some encyclopedias and some, some concordances and, and a bunch of Bible dictionaries, and maybe you'll get a little wisdom then. Is that what it says? It says, no, if any of you lack wisdom, if your tank's a little low on wisdom, because you realize you've made some bonehead decisions, here's what you gotta do to get some wisdom. What's the Bible say? Ask. Yeah. Ask. If you lack wisdom, ask, and it'll be given to you. You see, post-salvation, God keeps blessing us and blessing us and blessing us and working on us. And he places the Holy Spirit in us to dwell within us, to lead us and guide us. And that's what we see in the life of Nathaniel. Summarize it all up. Nathaniel had a prejudice problem. On the good side, he'd been seeking God and studying and trying to find God. Those two things collide and come together because Nathaniel has to face his prejudice to come to salvation. But when he does, when he comes to salvation, do you know what Nathaniel, what Nathaniel loses in, that, in that, that interaction of giving up his prejudice and coming to Jesus? What does he lose? His prejudice. That's it. That's all he loses. And what does Jesus say? Dude, you got this figured out? You think, you think this is pretty good? You just wait. I'm going to bless your life so much more. You're going to see things you would never imagine seeing. 
In other words, Jesus says to him, hey, you came to me in salvation? That's awesome. We got a whole lot more. It's going to blow your mind. You know why that same thing is true for you and I in this practical application? When you and I come to Jesus and over, we give up our sin in salvation, and over the course of time we give up those things that are anti-godly, that are just based on feelings and emotions and prejudices, we give those things up and what do we lose? Except the bad stuff. And then God begins to bless us again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> Isn't that a cool thing, what God does? We glean this from Nathaniel, and we glean it for us personally. That if you're seeking God and you found him in salvation, the story's not done yet. There's so much more God's going to bless you with. And if you have things in your life you've got to give up because they're not godly, you're not going to lose a darn thing. You're going to gain all of heaven. That's cool. That's a pretty unfair exchange, isn't it? It's like me going to Christy and saying, hey, I want to have a nickel. Happy birthday. And she goes, hey, John, thanks. It's your birthday, too. Here's 500 bucks. There's nothing fair about that. When we come to salvation, that's what happened. God says, we come to God going, God, I got a nickel. I like the widow. I got half a penny. God says, I'm going to give you so much more because you came and gave. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the message of Nathaniel, the apostle. We thank you for the immediate transaction of what he had with you and realizing you as Savior. We pray, Lord, those that are watching or listening or here would realize you are God also. That they wouldn't have to think about it or form a committee or an advisory board or do a lot more study. That they would realize that you are, Jesus, the very living, true Son of God. Fully God and fully man. And Lord, as Nathaniel, when we come to you and we realize that we have those issues in our life that you call us to give up, that we realize giving up is not giving in. Giving up is gaining everything as you bless us more and more. Speak to us now, Lord. Teach us. Instruct us. We do pray for wisdom. And Lord, we do seek you knowing that we will find you this day. We thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for your message. We thank you for the worship. We thank you for the friends and family you give us in this fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.